Hi everyone, this is Jeff. And this is Russ. When we first started Home on the RNG, we began it as a series of videos, and we produced quite a few before we realized it really works better as a podcast. Whoops-a-doodle. So we apologize if any of these early episodes have any visually heavy references that don't transfer to the audio medium. Whoops-a-doodle. Thanks for listening. Home on the RNG. Hello for the, what is this, fifth time? One, two, this is our fourth, our fourth game, fourth ever. our fifth video, uh, and, and by far the best game we've ever done. No, it isn't. This is Shining Force. No, terrible. So, we'll open as we have been opening, and as we will always open, with personal history. personal history with this amazing game is um, I apparently owned it. I have the cartridge. I apparently owned it for the Sega Genesis. I did not remember that I owned it, which is exactly how memorable this game is for me. Um, I knew I had played it when I was a kid. I, I probably only got through maybe the first five chapters. Tactical strategy RPGs are not my thing in general, and I probably just picked this up used at some game store because it, it looks like an RPG. It has a guy finding skeletons, um, so that, uh, that, that would have told my younger self that this is probably something I would have liked. Um, not really my thing. That's probably why I didn't get through much of it when I was a kid, and this is the first time I played it all the way through, and it was excruciating. So, get ready to hear all about it. I didn't even hear about this game until a couple of years ago when a friend of mine suggested it to me because it had centaurs in it, which is a pretty decent selling point for me. Uh, so I gave it a shot. I didn't get very far in it. And then when we started this project, it was the perfect excuse to finish what I had started. Um, I've also done my little bit of research. Shining Force came out in 1992 for the Sega Genesis. It is a sequel to a straightforward RPG called Shining in the Darkness. Although, in terms of the Shining story, this game comes first. There are Shining Force sequels, and there are stuff spun off of Shining in the Dark. The Shining series is a whole little franchise with little offshoots all over the place. This is the tactical RPG offshoot that we're talking about now. So, there we go. <laughs> The story begins thusly. After a thousand years of peace, a great evil has arisen in the land again. And the king, who has sworn to defend the Gate of Ancients from this ancient evil, sends forth the one kid in his guard that all the other guards make fun of, because you don't want to send a whole army for something like this. I feel good about this. This one kid is going to go out and assemble himself an army and fight back the ancient evil from a thousand years before. And he'll do so with a cast of characters that Russell talked about. 
Um, I don't even know what to say. The characters, <laughs> as colorful as they may be, let, let me preface by saying I enjoy the artwork. I enjoy the character artwork. Every time that a major or even, even a more major NPC speaks, they get a cute little character portrait. And I like that. The characters themselves are incredibly one note. Um, some of them going so far as when you recruit them to your Shining Force, your, your army of characters, which is literally called the Shining Force, um, they pretty much only have like one or two different things they even say. Yeah, but they don't... There's not an excuse in the game for them to talk a whole lot. There's just not. That's not the point of the game is the battles, and there's not a lot of chit-chat going on in the middle of battle, typically. If you and I were on the front lines of a war, we're not going to be talking about the video games. We're going to be going, ah! I mean, that's about... But this, is, but this is a JRPG. And people do talk about weird things like their pet cat in the <laughs> middle of a battle. I thought that they did a good job of differentiating the characters. No, they don't. None of them have a lot of depth. I'll grant you that. There's just not enough time to go into each of like the forty characters and learn all about their favorite animal. I think, but they all do have a unique style of speech. Like they have their, they have a little bit of personality. Not a whole lot, but they each have their own little bit of personality. I think the resentment I have about your actual playable characters not having a whole lot to say is that a lot of the major NPCs, I feel like, have a lot more to say. I think the villains have a lot more to say, and just other just other characters that don't actually join your party seem to have more personality than the characters that do. And then I also want to say this, and I'm going to have to grab my little notes for this, and I'm trying not to have the paper out, but I want to make sure I get it right. So, the breadth of characters, the cast of characters, it... it and I have in here that it could rival the Breath of Fire series because you can recruit such creatures as a steampunk armored armadillo, mm -hmm. centaurs, a werewolf, some birdmen, a dragon, an old man in a flying suit, and so on, and so on. Uh, a super intelligent space hamster with a helmet? Mm -hmm. Who does nothing? Right. Recruitable. Yes. And centaur centaurs out the kazoo. More centaurs than you could shake a carrot at. Yeah, definitely. So there's a lot of variety in the types of characters. Yeah, yeah. You gonna argue with that? I didn't think so. There are. There are a lot of different anthropomorphic races. They're all pretty bland. Russ agrees with me that it's the greatest game ever. You just heard me. Bland. So next up, we've got our combat system. is a tactical RPG. Uh, if you've played games like Final Fantasy Tactics, Fire Emblem, Hyper Devotion, Noir Goddess, Blackheart, uh, you know, like all of us have, as all of us have, these very common uh, tactical JRPGs. So the idea is you're controlling characters on a map and they walk up. Uh, you control their movement, the enemy moves, you attack. Uh, unlike Fire Emblem, when you go to attack an enemy, both sides don't get an attack. Only the active side who moved and chose to attack gets to do something. So that's the only real difference between this and what you're probably more familiar with in Fire Emblem. And what he really means by that is it is a lot of just watching the enemies move around the battlefield and then moving your characters all around the battlefield 
because the battlefields are so huge that it takes forever just to get your characters moved far enough up and the enemy's characters moved far enough down for anybody to actually engage each other in battle. And you have to watch every enemy move individually. What Russ means is you have plenty of opportunity to try and devise your strategy in terms of who's going to be your front line and your rear line. And you get a decent idea of where the enemies are coming from and in what formation they're going to be in. So you can try and prepare a counter strategy before the battle actually ensues. I think that's what you were trying to my, say. My counter strategy was hoping that everybody died and this game would be over. <laughs> uh, I'll say this, and I don't know if this belongs in combat or animations, but uh, I didn't feel, at least early on in the game, like the first half or so, I didn't have to grind at all. Interesting you should mention that, because <laughs> it was rage-inducing. <laughs> Whenever I gained a level and I got plus one speed, gained a level, spent time devoting that character, going out into battle to defeat as many enemies as he or she possibly could, and then I got plus one speed. I didn't realize this game had hurt you so. It did. I'm it sorry. really did. I'm so it really sorry. did. I had just come off of playing Fire Emblem Fates. Show me on the cartridge where the where, where the game touched you. Um, I can do that. It was this skeleton. This skeleton right here hurt me. He does not look nice. Yeah. He looks mean. Yes. I got a lot of plus one speed. Well, since you were complaining about the size of the battlefields, now you can travel across them faster. That still, that still does not You're cut down on watching every giant bat and every goblin, just watching them move back and forth across the battlefield. And yet, you're perfectly fine with the grinding in Dragon Quest One, whereas in this case, things were moving. You can grind in an old-school RPG like Dragon Quest and not think about it or pay attention to what's going on. In today's modern world, you can be playing your Dragon Quest, and then you can be watching a little bit of TV here is on this, the side. Is this how you watch this TV? This is how I watch TV. Okay. Um, Shining Force, you have to be focused on watching those enemies move arbitrarily across a giant map. Russ is incorrect, and so we're going to move on <laughs> to innovations. first things that jumped out at me when I was playing this game that really kind of let me know that I was in for something a little bit, a little different, just a little different than uh, a lot of the normal JRPGs. Was it, was it the terribleness? It was, was actually... It the mind-numbing awfulness? It was the minor dynamic environment changes. In your, in the first town, there's a cart in the middle of the street, and if you bump into the cart, it rolls across and hits somebody and they complain at you about it. Oh. It's the first JRPG I could think of from that day and time where you could move something in a town. I'm glad that brought you joy. It did. It brought me a little bit of joy. It actually happens. There's two different sequences. There's one where you push it and almost run somebody over and they bitch you. And then there's one where you push a cart and it gets mud on the lady's skirt. She bitches at you. So, <laughs> so it's a feminist game. It is. Uh, you interact 
with the world through animated images. Uh, your dialogue consists of head going, or head going. Uh, the same is true of the combat system. It's all little icons. There's no words in your interaction with the world. Uh, I was irritated that there's no way to get NPCs out of your way, especially in like a cramped environment. Mm -hmm. Except for one guy guarding a treasure, weirdly, uh, who was kind of happy to move. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, for the most part, there were times where I'm just I'm trapped in this corner until this person decides to turn left. Um, so you had a lot of fun with it. That Okay, so it wasn't perfect. You know what it did have, though, that I love in any kind of video game? Tons of hidden characters. Yeah, it did. I went out of my way to try and recruit all the hidden characters, and I know I missed at least five. And I was really dedicating myself to trying to get all of the hidden characters. And it even has a joke character mm -hmm. named Yogurt. He's a hamster with a space helmet. Yogurt never advances beyond level one. Yogurt's job class can be, can be leveled up at any time to Yogurt. He's always... <laughs> You can always level up his job class to the same thing it already is. His stats are all at one, and they never go up, no matter what. If he does manage to beat an enemy, he gets he drops an item called a yogurt ring. And if you equip that ring on any of your other characters, they look like yogurt. So you can actually dedicate yourself to making your entire party look like space hamsters. That is exactly what I look for in every A+. RPG. I just think it's funny that they took the time to put in a joke character, and they actually like put effort into this joke character. Uh, I mentioned leveling up your characters. When your characters hit level 10, you can actually give them a class up. They change classes and become a lot more powerful. The werewolf becomes like, oh, he gets a cape, as werewolves do. Some of them do get quite a bit more powerful. I remember my centaurs getting considerably more I wasn't getting plus one speed. They turn from when knights they, to paladins yes, or something. Up, so I'll give them that. Um, there's also, and I think this probably, if you can put yourself back in the mind of when it came out, playing it on your Sega Genesis, it has a decent amount of replayability because of the diverse cast of characters, some of which are hidden and you don't know how to unlock them. So you could play it again going, well, let me try with this guy and this guy in my party. It also has special hidden items. Uh, there are certain squares in the battlefield. After you beat a battle, you can walk around a little bit. It doesn't really do any good. But if you walk on specific squares, you'll find hidden items. Uh, in specific, there's at least two bikinis and a lawyer. There are two bikinis and a lawyer. That's How weird is this game? The lawyer doesn't do anything. You just find this guy. He's a lawyer. He takes up an inventory space if you want him to. He doesn't do anything. He's just You, you found a lawyer. The bikinis aren't really called bikinis. They're called something weird, long in Japanese. And if you put it... Japanese people. If you your, put it, your language is weird and long. Exactly. If you take that weird, long Japanese item and you put it in the correct girl's inventory, because it's specific to each one, it changes her sprite so she's wearing a swimsuit. And where's the banana hammock for one of the... <laughs> I'm just saying, that, that adds to replayability. Just little tiny hidden things that you could explore every inch of this game to try and find. I, dis I emphatically disagree. <laughs> you I, disagree with the joy of little hidden things? I disagree. I disagree with the usefulness of different characters. What I found from my experience, because of that plus one speed, 
the characters that I recruited were always stronger than the characters I already had. So rather than choosing favorite characters, are characters that you've been spending time with and, and specifically leveling up throughout the game, you, you really just want to go with whoever's new in your party. With, with, with basic exceptions, you always need a healer, you know, and you probably always want a mage, but you pretty much just want to go with the new mm -hmm. character. I don't know. Once I got that werewolf, he stayed in my party Now, he forever. was good. He, did, he, he ignored did terrain, well. so he traveled fast. And, I like, and the bird people were useful because they... One of the bird people was useful. Terrain. One of them was pretty weak. Yeah, I don't remember. Um, I think I used both of them. One really nice thing that I liked that they did, and I didn't realize, I don't even, maybe you didn't even catch this, because I didn't realize it until halfway through I was playing. So as your spells level up, they affect a larger area. Mm -hmm. And I was so panicked trying to figure out how to Tetris this situation so that my spell would only hit the bad guys and not mine until I finally figured out, oh, even if it hits an area this big, if like two of my guys are in that area, it just won't hit my guys. There's no friendly fire with these large area of effect spells. Thank you. Because I, I don't think Final Fantasy Tactics does that. Tactics lets you hit your guys with area of effect spells. Oh, I've never played Final Fantasy Tactics. It's pretty good. Um, I probably won't. It has a lot of cute little scenes. Uh, there's a little while... You're turned into a chicken for a little bit. You are. You encounter that wizard who is trying to summon a demon and accidentally summons his own wife. Mm -hmm. Like I said, very feminist, progressive game. Very clearly. He's trying to summon a demon, and he summons his wife. Who yells at him and drags him off by his ear. Right. So, for your sake, Russ, I'll talk about two things that I thought were less than perfect. First of all, Finally. in the combat, I never had any way of knowing whose turn was next. That was irritating. Uh, I didn't know when an enemy was going to move towards me and attack. I had no way of knowing, you know, my character's about to eat it because he's weak and he's, in, and he's exposed. Should I move him back or am I going to get a strong guy to move up next? And that's what bothered me about the enemy AI. As a legitimate point, I think, is I felt like a lot of enemies would just like go back and forth on the battlefield. Like, they would move, and they would go a few steps this way, and then they would go a few steps that way. And it was just kind of back and forth. They were on patrol until you got to oh, their no. little area. I, I didn't know. They were, and you get close to them. Alright. I don't want to hear your excuses. My biggest gripe with this game. The inventory system. Russ, do you want to start or shall I? Well, the most infuriating thing about it is Everybody has to hold whatever items you have. And how much is their inventory space? There's four. There's four four squares of inventory for one person. You have to have a weapon. So there's one, space. one of those inventory spaces. If you have any Armor. like rings or anything, yeah, like things that can boost their stats, you have to use that space. You have to use a space for a healing item, and then you also have to use spaces just for like the quest, like the quest items that they give you. And there's no, there's no convoy, like in Fire Emblem, or basically any other strategy, tactical RPG I've tried to play, that just has a group inventory. Even worse, when you open a treasure chest, whatever's in the chest tries to go into the inventory of your main character. Right. So you are forever shuffling items forever. out of your main character's inventory so he can open the chest, so he can then give that item to somebody else. Because again, four slots. And at least two of those are going to already have something in them. Mm -hmm. uh, possibly even three, because again, he does have to put quest items in there to right. do stuff. 
So there's a lot of inventory management for no reason. Because I feel like I can carry four things. Like if I'm walking around, <laughs> I feel like I can hold a sword, wear a ring, and still carry more than two things on my body in like a backpack or something. If I needed to. I feel like I carried more than four things in school in a backpack. Definitely. Do you have anything else under innovations? No, I think that I just I think the inventory. Well, I think everything was awful. <laughs> I I don't think this game really innovated anything. So part of this is I just like to fuel the fire that burns inside of him whenever I disagree. I honestly feel like this is one of the best games we've played since we began this project. <laughs> Easily the best game we've played since we began this project. Uh, anyway. We will now move on to music! Um, it was music. There was, there was music. There was. And it had remember, notes. I don't remember any of it. I couldn't hum a bar of any of it. Dun, da, da. You know what, you know what sound effect I remember the most is when you save. And it makes that. <laughs> That's so, what I remember. That's the most memorable sound. Um, they're actually, again, a friend of mine did research. There is not much information. The guy who did Shining Force only did one other game, and I think it was also a Shining Force game. Uh, and there's not much information on him. And his name is... Is Masahiko Yoshimura. So, thank you for contributing to this wonderful game. I really appreciate it. Yes, I really appreciate it, Yoshimura. As you probably can already tell I did not enjoy this game. Um, some of it is because I just like to antagonize Jeff, and some of it is just because this isn't my type of game. I don't really like tactical strategy RPGs um, that aren't the modern fire emblem. Um, so this, this, game, this game was not for me, and I think my best advice is that if you don't already like tactical strategy RPGs, this game won't win you over. It's not going to change your mind. Um, it is, it's, it's very old school, um, and it's very, 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 very tedious. Battles are very, 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 very tedious. Um, it did have a good art style. I will give it that it was colorful. Um, NPCs had, had, were more interesting than anybody that joined your actual party. But overall, um, anything that I liked about the story or about the NPC characters did not overshadow how much I just despised the battle system in this game. So I am giving this game an F, and I am either going to give this cartridge to Jeff if he wants it, or I'm going to burn it in a dumpster fire. Wow. Wow! I'm gonna keep this. 
I enjoyed this game immensely. Uh, I'm not kidding when I said it's my favorite game that we've played for this project so far. Now, we've only played four games for this project so far, so the, the, the competition wasn't really that fierce, although I did enjoy Lupian, but not as much as I enjoyed Shining Force. I like tactical RPGs. Uh, I, I enjoyed the strategy element to it. I really... I got a lot more out of this than I expected to for such an early JRPG, tactical RPG. Uh, just the breadth of characters, the number of characters, the, all the hidden little things that you could unlock. Uh, the final combat, even, was different than any tactical RPG I've ever played because it was a giant dragon with three heads and you had to kill all three heads and you were attacking all three parts of this one creature simultaneously. So the creature was so big, it was almost part of the background. Um, so I appreciate that it, it did a lot more than I really thought it was going to be able to do. Uh, I don't know why Russ hates this game so much. Because I really, really like it. <laughs> because it sucks. Uh, A minus. A minus, and it would have been an A plus had it not been for that really awful inventory system. That's really the only problem I've got with this game. So, if you want to play Shining Force, and you shouldn't, and you do, you don't. It's available on the Wii Virtual Console. It's also available in the Sonic's Genesis Collection for the 360 and the PS3, and that's actually worth picking up. It's been out for a long time, so the price on it's pretty low, and it's a lot of Sega Genesis games. Uh, last time Russ was in town, we actually spent most of the weekend just playing various games on there. So it's not just Shining Force and Shining Force 2, which are on there. Uh, it's got a whole bunch of other games. It's, it's, it's worth picking up if you ever liked any of these older games. So there's a couple of places where you can play Shining Force for yourself and decide that Russ is wrong and doesn't know what he's talking about. I do know what I'm talking about, and I am correct, and don't play it. This game is great. To show you what a not great game looks like, next time, Russ has picked for us to play Breath of Fire 1. We can compare and contrast what a great game is versus a steaming turd. Dun dun dun. <laughs> Let's see you next time. Bye. Home on the RNG is a presentation of Mad Centaur Productions. You can find Jeff on youtube.com slash centaur productions or on Twitter at Jeff Centaur. You can find Russ on Twitter at RussMac25. Thank you for listening, and remember, it's dangerous to go alone. Take this podcast with you.